0: White Sox Weekly, your all-access pass to everything White Sox. That baby will go! Lance Lynn with an absolute gem. Right. It is gone! It's a no-hitter! Carlos Rodon! What a performance!
1: Now here's your host, Connor McKnight. Welcome to White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000, Hard Rock Casino, White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. We've got you up until 2.30 this afternoon. White Sox pregame show begins right there, 2.30. 3.10 first pitch for the White Sox and Astros. Johnny Cueto and Justin Verlander are the starters. Check your sundials. It is actually 2022. Cueto and Verlander both still going strong. They are your starting pitching matchup for this second game of a three-game series, 312 332 That's the phone number here on White Sox Weekly. You want to talk a little White Sox, this is the show for you. That's your phone number. Uh, lots to do on the show today. We'll have a conversation with White Sox, uh, let's see, DH and right fielder and first baseman, Andrew Vaughn. In just a little bit, he's going to join the show at 1 p.m., so set your alarms if you like. James Feagan of The Athletic is our guest at 2 o'clock. We have not talked with James yet this season. It's wild. We usually have him on earlier, um, but between, you know, my having some off days on Saturdays to go call games uh, for Len Casper or uh, in lieu of Len Casper, it's not been me a whole lot. James and I really enjoy talking baseball. Uh, I think he's one of the best writers out there, so we'll talk White Sox with James at 2 o'clock. He is, uh, if Twitter is any indication, in Houston. So he was witness to last night's loss. 13-3 to the final. Astros over the White Sox. The White Sox are 30-32 and on the season. Five games back, the Twins lost last night to the Mariners. So at the very least, there is no ground lost for the White Sox in last night's uh, shellacking by the Astros. They lit him up, man. They just did. The Astros are an offense that can do that. There is no shame, necessarily, in having the Astros do what they did. You got to get back at it, though, in Game 2 against Justin Verlander. And then Game 3, of course, which we'll talk about a little bit later this afternoon, should feature Michael Kopech getting the ball again for the first time since leaving the game, leaving his last start last Sunday against the Rangers after just two outs. Uh, lots to get to There couple of things to, um, I guess, point out or at least keep you posted on as the afternoon goes along. We'll talk about the White Sox lineup in just a little bit. That's out. A little changes, a few changes to the White Sox lineup today against Justin Verlander. And one thing uh, much of note, very much of note, rather, for this White Sox lineup against Verlander, too. Uh, but Yohan Moncada is the latest injury for the White Sox, and that is you know, kind of where this whole thing starts, or at least where I want to start White Sox weekly today. I got a question for you coming up here in a little bit too. Maybe we'll get to that in the second segment of the show, but I wanted to get the injury updates and, and just kind of the latest for the White Sox here before we get rolling. Yoan Moncada left the game after the second inning with tightness in his right hamstring. He grounded out to short and then about, I don't know, two steps, probably two full steps before first base. Felt something in his leg, sounded like uh, or the White Sox said it was tightness in his right hamstring. He stayed in the game for another half inning of defense uh, before he left and gave way to Josh Harrison, who came in. Had two hits, incidentally, did Harrison. Two for three with a strikeout, filling in for Yoan Moncada. Uh, Yohan is not in the lineup for the White Sox today. I don't know how long. Joan Moncada is going to be out. We're not sure. It sounded like there needed to be more tests and things done this morning after last night's loss before there was any determination really made. Tony La Russa talked with White Sox reporters after the game, and that was kind of the uh, the synopsis of things. When we know, you'll know more on Joan Moncada, and I would imagine that over the next hour or so, we're getting more information on the White Sox third baseman. This has been a far too common theme For White Sox weeklies, whether I've been hosting it or whether Tyler's been hosting it or whether Jeff meller has been hosting it, we've been talking about injuries and what they've done to this ball club, what they've prevented this ball club from being able to do here in 2022. Yohan Moncada opened the season on the injured list with a strained oblique. Uh, Some leg tweaks kept him out of about four or five games. And then this latest hamstring injury is one that's got him laid up for at least one game. He is not in the lineup against the Astros tonight. You know, it, it's tough too because Moncada, although Jake Berger has played well at third base and has had some miscues, no doubt about it. He's had a couple of errors that have cost him. Uh, he had a run, though, where he was going to the line for baseballs really well. And then over the last week or so, Uh, He boxed a couple, caught a couple, coughed the heel, that kind of thing. But that's to be expected for a guy like Jake Berger, who's had the two years away from the game rehabbing injuries. Uh, And as a third baseman profiled as a good but not great third baseman. Yoan Moncada is a very good, perhaps even great third baseman defensively, depending on the year and how things are feeling health-wise, all that kind of stuff. Anyway, uh, that kind of defense at third, Yohan's specifically has been missed by the White Sox. And the production is something that had been missed quite a bit. I mean, even in 2021, Yohan Moncada was very much a plus guy offensively for the White Sox. He had a 375 on base percentage. The slugging percentage was down, no doubt about it. At 412, he only hit 14 home runs. But at a 263 batting average, that's a guy you can very much live with and have right in the center of your offensive grouping. He's not your three-hitter. He's not your four-hitter. But he's a guy you can move around to a whole bunch of different places. He had a 116 OPS plus. And for those who aren't too familiar with that number, it's a league-adjusted stat that does its best to group offensive values against the rest of the league per year, right? So that way, if there's one year that really stands out offensively, you know, maybe the ball's weird or the, 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 the... Weather is up, or pitchers are great, or maybe the mound is different. You know, from like sixty-eight to sixty-nine or something like that. OPS at a hundred is kind of league average. He's sixteen percent better last year than the league average hitter. Now, White Sox fans and and Yoan himself from the White Sox front office, I, I think everybody looks at the two thousand nineteen that Yoan Moncada had, where the OPS plus was at one forty, and he got a couple of MVP votes. We're actually going to talk with James Fegan in a little bit. He hit 315. He had a 367 on base and slugged 548. The pandemic year came after that. We all know what happened there. Yoan had COVID and a really tough time uh, shaking the effects of it. I wish that on absolutely no one. It just it just sucks is what it does. The entire pandemic was terrible. I would not recommend repeating it. Let's not do it again. Anyway, it it hit Yoan. Last year though was a good year for Joan Moncada. And quite frankly, you know, his getting back to 2021 levels of production would be huge for this ball club. A guy who can consistently take walks, work long at bats. Yeah, the strikeouts are high, but whose strikeouts aren't high in Major League Baseball this, these days? Juan Soto is, is like that guy. Uh, Jose Abreu is taking a lot more walks this year, which is a ton of fun. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. Uh, but Yohan Moncada being hurt yet again is, is a tough place for this White Sox lineup to be, especially without Tim Anderson at the top. Now, they've gotten contributions from a whole bunch of guys that have especially helped float the offense over the last week, week and a half. Problem there is that against the Rangers, at least, the Tigers not so much, but against the Rangers, the White Sox pitching had a tough time holding on to some leads. They won the first one 8-3, to lost the second game in that series 11-9, and then lost another one 8-6, to a couple of those, both losses, in fact, in extra innings, where the Rangers scored four in the tenth, and then scored three in the eleventh, and then two in the twelfth, to win that final game against uh, the White Sox. So, in, in a in a week and a half, or or maybe even uh, two weeks plus, the White Sox offense has jumped into. You know, really, kind of fitting what everyone thought it could be, despite not having Aloy Jimenez, despite not having Tim Anderson, despite not having Yohan Moncada in some spots, no doubt about it, and not having Yasmani Grandal. Offense has jumped, and in some cases, you know, whether that's having to tap a, a, a bullpen that is just at, at this point looking as spent as it has all season, and I'm just talking about I'm talking about the innings guys have been asked to pitch. You know, just the the long games, the offensive onslaughts, a couple of starting pitching performances, like last night, we'll hear from Lucas Giolito, that go awry. This bullpen has been asked to cover quite a bit, uh, and we can see the effects of it. 312-332-3776, that's the phone number. Here's the lineup for this second game, this Saturday afternoon game, against the Astros tonight with Justin Verlander on the hill for Houston. Danny Mendick is the leadoff man. He's going to play short. Andrew Vaughn, who is our guest at 1 o'clock today, is the DH. Luis Robert is batting three. He's in center. Jose Abreu is batting four. He's at first base. A.J. Pollock is in left. Jake Berger is at third. 7, 8, and 9 are Josh Harrison at second base. Sebi Zavala catching. And Adam Engel is in right field. That is a lot of right-handed bats in Tony LaRusso's lineup. And that's, in fact, it's... All right-handed bats in Tony the lineup. I thought you'd catch it, but I, I figured you know on the radio you're not looking at the lineup card like I am, and it doesn't say right-handed next to each and every one of them. That this is a right-handed lineup against a right-handed Justin Verlander. And sure, you know, given the injuries that the White Sox have right now, Reese McGuire being the other left-handed catcher, and uh, you know Reese is obviously a defensive first guy as opposed to otherwise. Yeah, you know, this is this is a thin bench right now for the White Sox, and this is a series. You know, you want to compete in. The Astros put it on you last night with a 13-3 score, a 10-run sixth inning. The first 10-run inning the White Sox have given up since 2015. There is, I would imagine, more than a willingness to answer what's going on or what went on yesterday. Now, the good news is you got right in the series that you were needed to get right in, that series against the Tigers. It was a huge Start to the week for the White Sox, taking one nine to five, then five to one, and then 13 to nothing. But at the end of the day, you know, this is an an offense that has gotten itself going, surviving some injuries. And now it looks like this White Sox team is one that needs to ask its pitching. You know, whether that's Lucas Giolito or or Matt Foster last night, it's got to ask its pitching for a little bit more in a spot where as as we talked about earlier in the show, or, or or to start the show really, in a spot where guys have been asked for a lot of innings. The injury to Liam Hendricks, and you know we're, we'll talk about that a little bit when we come back and, and hear from Lucas Giolito some too. The injury to Liam Hendricks is a really tough time to have to take an injury to a guy that, when healthy, can take the ball in back-to-back games if need be, uh, can take the ball for four out and five out saves if need be, a guy that can, you know, just soak up, not just be your top end closer, but also be a guy that can take just a little bit more than those three outs every other day when you've got a lead. So, you know, Liam being on the injured list here for what looks like, you know, three weeks and, and maybe longer is no doubt affecting the kind of guys, the, the number of times and the different variations that Tony La and kind of asked for out of his bullpen here, the White Sox are 30 and 32, and you know certainly far from from out of this AL Central. But they are up against it, starting a two week stretch of baseball without an off day. Um, they need a good starting effort, whether that's from Johnny Cueto or Michael Kopeck tomorrow, preferably both. Uh, they definitely need it against the Astros here this afternoon. It's a 3:10 first pitch, 2:30 pregame show. You can catch it all here on the ESPN 1000, Hard Rock Casino, White Sox Network. We got a lot to do here on the show this afternoon. I got a question for you. We asked this on Twitter last night, and I'll give you the results of the Twitter poll when we come back. We'll hear from Lucas Giolito when we come back, and we'll talk to Andrew Vaughn at 1 o'clock. But up to this point in the season, the White Sox are through 62 with 100 games left to go starting today. They are 30 and 32 after the first 62, there's 100 left to play. Who's your White Sox MVP? Who's been the guy the White Sox could not live without? Who's been the guy that, despite a disappointing start to the season, being two games under 500? who who's been the guy where, boy, this looks different if he's not here? I want to know what you think, 312-332-3776. That's the question out to you today. Who's been the White Sox MVP through the first 62? I'm Connor McKnight. You've got White Sox Weekly on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network.
2: Greeny, 10 to noon, weekdays on ESPN 1000.
1: Welcome back. It's White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. You can join us and your favorite fuzzy green friend on Friday, June 24th, as we celebrate Southpaw's induction into the Mascot Hall of Fame. The ceremony will take place shortly before the White Sox and Orioles match up at seven ten p.m., be one of the first 500 purchasers and receive a one-of-a-kind commemorative Southpaw Hall of Fame ring to purchase tickets. And for more information, visit WhiteSox.com Southpaw. We actually know the man who will uh, be inducting Southpaw into the Hall of Fame. Our very own Carmen DeFalco will be hosting, and seeing those uh, ceremonies. I believe that's on June 18th. Can we, Jake, do we know... Is that it's June eighteenth, right? That is the induction ceremony for Southpaw. That was it's it's today, right? Yeah, I think Arms it's today. There, yeah. today. All right, good. So that's happening now. He's he's being inducted into the hall of F- the fuzzy green dude. Southpaw is being inducted into the hall of fame. Carmen Defalco is emceeing those uh, those 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 fantastic events, and we'll celebrate it all at the ballpark on June twenty fourth. Asked you a question before we went to break, Uh, and there's a couple of stats and and things on the um, Justin Verlander matchup today that I want to get to here before we take a phone call or two. I asked you, uh, White Sox fans, who has been the MVP for the White Sox through the first 62 games? We are 62 games through the 2022 season. Not sure if it feels like that or if it feels like it's been shorter than that. It's kind of been a weird start to the year. The lockout threw everything off for me. I don't know about you. Anyway, the Sox are 30 and 32. There are 100 games left to play. And I want to know who your White Sox MVP has been up to this point in the season. The guy they couldn't live without. They've lived without a lot of guys so far. I think that's what makes this question really interesting, or at least it did to me when we asked it on the Twitter poll last night. I mean, you could say Tim Anderson. Uh, Tim hasn't been here for the last week and a half or so, and yet the White Sox offense has taken off. I don't know that that's not correlative. Obviously, you want Tim Anderson in the lineup, uh, but it is kind of an interesting timing thing. Jose Abreu has been great over the last month, month plus, uh, but it had been a tough start for him too. Uh, Michael Kopek has been terrific. But he's a starter and has had a lot of time off between starts because they they need to give him that. You need those innings late in the season when you're making your playoff push. Uh, so I thought it was an interesting question. We'll get to uh, Bill and Woodridge in just a little bit and get our first answer of the day. But I also mentioned this: uh, the White Sox have a fully right-handed lineup against the right-hander Justin Verlander. And I, I got sidetracked talking about the Yoan Moncada injury before I paid off the uh, the tease. The reasoning behind that, perhaps, if you actually if you look at the career splits. For Justin Verlander, I'm talking about his entire career, right? The 5,447 at-bats he's had against right-handers. And really, you should go by plate appearances, because that includes the walks and everything else. 5,893 plate appearances for Justin Verlander against right-handed batters. And 6,618 plate appearances for Justin Verlander against left-handed batters. Lefties have actually hit him a little bit worse than right-handers. Not your typical split. Is it that big a difference? No, because it's Justin Verlander, and he's really good. But the OPS for right-handers against Verlander throughout his illustrious and first ballot Hall of Fame career, the OPS for right-handers is 6.55. The OPS for left-handers a little bit worse at 6.44. So an all-right-handed lineup for the White Sox against Justin Verlander today. And I thought that might be interesting to some who are going to see Justin Verlander right-handed against Nine right-handed White Sox hitters. uh, Injuries forcing some of that lineup as well. Out in Woodridge. It's our first call of White Sox Weekly today. Bill has the honor. Bill, what's on your mind, man?
0: Hey, Connor. I wanted to first get out of the way the fact that I love the White Sox broadcast and I love ESPN 1000. So having said those things, I uh, wanted to throw my two cents in. And I haven't looked at stats This is all off the top of my head. I watch all the games, or I listen to the games if I'm in the car, Uh, but my answer is Jake Berger, and I don't think without Jake Berger this club would be where it is right now. He's got the power, he's got the enthusiasm, and when he's completely healthy, he's a guy I don't think should be out of the lineup at all. And if they can't find a position for him in the infield or the outfield, then he should at least be your DH. But I think his bat needs to be in there every day. The power hitting is just amazing, and it's a lot of fun, too. So having said that, um, is there anything to indicate that he's not going to be in the starting lineup now?
1: Uh, He is in the starting lineup tonight, or this afternoon, I should say. He is starting at third base. Remember, Bill, Jake got hit by a pitch uh, in that first game against the Tigers. So he sat the last two, and then the Sox had the off day, of course, and then Jake was the DH for the White Sox last night. I I think the idea is when Jake is healthy to have him in that lineup as much as possible. And with Yohan Moncada laid up right now, he's got the hamstring strain I, right. I figure Jake Berger is your frontline third baseman, you know?
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's fantastic. I'm just thrilled to hear it. And uh, what do you think of his, uh, his input into the, uh, White Sox, the first, uh, 62 games?
1: Well, I'll tell you, Bill, I appreciate the phone call and the kind words, uh, on, on the broadcast. Len and DJ are, are fantastic. I, I think future hall of famers, both of them. And, uh, we really love having them here on the broadcast as well. Um, you know, it's interesting, Bill, that you bring up Jake Berger. I'll, here's a little bit about Connor. Right, this morning, uh, my brother texted. We we co-run a fantasy team, and this is not about to be a "Hey, listen to my fantasy baseball thing." It's not. I'm not going there. I would never do that to you. I respect you, the White Sox Weekly listener, so much more than telling you about my fantasy baseball team. This is a, a segue into that. We needed a third baseman. We had a couple injuries. So I, one of the things I like to do in sorting through ball players and figuring out, you know, how a guy's doing and, and instead of just looking at the, you know, the average in the slash line, you know, the average on base and slugging percentage, which matters, obviously, especially if you're talking in a fantasy context, but I like to look at some of the under the hood numbers, right? Your average exit velocities, which you can find on baseball savant and your barrels per plate appearance, just how often there's a. A technical definition for barrel. I believe it's uh, 20 degrees elevation and 95 off the bat. If I have the elevation wrong, I apologize. But it's the number of those those really well hit balls, the balls that really go for hits and extra bases a lot. How many of those you have per plate appearance? And I thought, okay, so if we need a third baseman, let me just go on baseball savant, do 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 do, click a couple of numbers, enhance, enhance, and then find a couple of third basemen that might not be rostered in the league and and, and sort them by. Average exit velocity and barrels per plate appearance, and see if we can unearth some diamond in the rough. Add him to the roster and get a couple of home runs while we're dealing with a couple of injuries. That was that was my brother and my Ian in my conversation this morning, right? So I go and I, you know, knowing that if I'm looking for a third baseman, if if you, the White Sox fan, are looking for a third baseman uh, that maybe isn't rostered in a couple of places, you got to set the minimum plate appearances, the minimum events, down a little bit lower. And if you do that, you set it at fifty. And then you sort by barrels per plate appearance, and you're looking at just third baseman, Jake Berger has the second most barrels per plate appearance in baseball as a third baseman. Only Austin Riley has more. 10.1, which is a darn good number. The average exit velocity for third baseman with 50, uh, 50 batted ball events Average exit velocity, Berger comes out pretty good on that, too. Not as good as he does for the barrels per plate appearance, but pretty good on average exit velo, 91.2 miles per hour. That is the 11th best for third baseman. Jake Berger has been really powerful when he's been up there. Now, the, the defense at third base has had ups and downs, no doubt about it. A couple of errors Quite frankly, and, you know, Jake talked about this when we had him on White Sox Weekly. What was that, guys, last week, uh, two weeks ago, I think is what it was? He he cost the White Sox a a, a big inning is what he did with the the, the defense over at third base. He's been working on that, has been working on that his entire life. I I think, you know, given the injuries Jake has had, the two Achilles ruptures, the effort that that guy has put in to – because he was a, you know, husky dude coming out of Missouri State. I mean, he's a big guy. He's a corner dude with a whole bunch of power, then rips up two Achilles – and had to completely reshape his whole physicality. He's dropped a ton of weight, kept that power, managed to log those, you know, those barrel numbers, those exit velocity numbers. That in and of itself, you know, has me as a, as a fan, right? I mean, that kind of work, that kind of dedication to getting back to it. I'll be very interested, you know, to see what the future truly is for Jake Berger in this league. He's obviously missed two years of development. That can't help but he is the kind of guy with the work ethic, obviously, as we mentioned, that's trying to get right back to it. I also think that, you know, it has been a very injury-heavy uh, in season for Yohan Moncada this year. It's already three injuries, three different injuries that have cost him some time, the oblique, a leg tweak, and now a hamstring tweak. I, and, and I am, I do believe that those are two different uh, separate injuries until we hear differently. Uh, and if we do, we're going to talk with James Feegan at 2 o'clock. If we do, obviously, we'll, we'll make that note. Um, but with the time Joan Moncada has missed, Jake Berger has been crucial for this White Sox team uh, because it's been tough for Josh Harrison to get it going offensively, not over the last four or five days, and that's been great to see. And then Leury Garcia has been needed you know, at second base or at short um, in, in a couple of spots where Tim Anderson has missed time before Danny Mendick got called up. 312-332-3776, that's the phone number. Glad we got to talk a little Jake Berger here. Appreciate the phone call, Bill. Nice job. Bring your family to a White Sox game starting at 70 bucks with a family four-pack presented by ExxonMobil. You'll get four tickets, four hot dogs, four drinks, and four chips to select games. For tickets, visit whitesox.com slash four-packs. We got something fun for you coming up after a break. I'll tell you what it is in just 10 seconds. We pause it here for Station ID.
2: From the First Midwest Bank, a division of Old National Bank, State Street Studio.
0: This is WMVP WSHE HD2 Chicago.
2: A Good Karma Brands radio station. This is White Sox Weekly, and
1: when we come back, today's designated hitter, Andrew Vaughn, is our guest here on the show. It's the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network.
0: We're on Twitch. Follow ESPN 1000 Chicago.
1: Welcome back. It's White Sox Weekly. Sox fans, you can join us for Southside Mondays presented by United Airlines on Monday, June 20th. Every Monday home game, watch the Sox rep the Southside jerseys and honor small businesses making an impact on the Southside. Each Southside Monday ticket includes up to $20 in concession credit added to your mobile ticket. To purchase, visit WhiteSox.com slash Mondays. I'm Connor McKnight. This is White Sox Weekly. Uh, we got a question out to you if you're uh, driving around on this uh, lovely Saturday afternoon, getting yourself ready for some White Sox baseball. Justin Verlander for the Astros. Johnny Cueto for the White Sox. Coming your way at 310. Pre-game shows at 230. If you're driving around and thinking, oh, you know, I wouldn't mind calling in, having a little baseball conversation. I asked earlier, Who's been the White Sox MVP to you through 62 games? They're 30 and 22. There are 100 to play. We had Bill uh, call up and offer Jake Berger as his guy. We ran the Twitter poll question last night of exactly that. We'll get you those results a little bit later on in the show. James Feegan is going to join us at 2 o'clock. But uh, we'll head down to Houston now. This is a special interview that we've got for you. Taped it about, uh, oh, I don't know, about 40 minutes ago, something like that. So without any further ado... Andrew Vaughn. With us now here on White Sox Weekly is White Sox outfielder Andrew Vaughn. Andrew, how are you, my friend? Thanks so much for hopping on the show. I'm doing pretty good, Connor. How are you doing, my man? Excellent, excellent. So let's talk about the last week, eight days, ten days for you at the plate specifically. Something has really clicked. Uh, Love for you to walk through what exactly that is. But I guess, you know, in, in looking at your last two, three weeks or so, when was it that the the hit by pitch all the way back in April that put you on the IL finally went away and you finally felt you know a hundred percent out there?
3: Yeah, you know after I came back came off the IL, did a couple rehab stints down or starts down in Charlotte and you know it felt good. I mean there's always going to be that lingering little inflammation pain because it was a bone bruise. I mean it was it got me pretty square in a not so good spot, but you know it's just something you got to be able to play through and you know take your best at bat and not worry about
1: it. Have you woken up with a day where it was like, oh, there it is. I'm Andrew Vaughn again. I got the hand back. Everything's ready to roll.
3: Well, I can't really pinpoint a day, but, I mean, it it, it felt good ever since I started hitting again in Charlotte. So no complaints about that.
1: What is clicking at the plate most for you right now? If you had to identify, you know, one spot in the skill set that is, I don't know, the most red hot, what is it?
3: Just staying simple. Just trying not to do too much and just, taking a good at-bat every single time I go up to the plate.
1: When you look at the way, you know, your season specifically has gone, what has affected, I, I think, the the ups and downs more than anything else? Has it been, you know, that injury that, that popped up for just a little bit? Was it, um, you know, seeing guys for the second time through in the big leagues? What is it that's been most different this year than last?
3: Um, I think it's the experience. I mean, I never really saw this type of pitching before last year ever in my life. Um, It was definitely an adjustment period. Coming to this year, I was like, I I know what I need to do. and need to prepare myself. and just got to go in every single day, take it at bat by at bat, you know, string stuff together, and do anything I can to help this team win no matter what.
1: Do you still get – is it goosebumps or butterflies when you see a guy like Justin Verlander that you're going to face today? I mean, I – I was writing out my lineup card and I wrote down Johnny Cueto and Justin Verlander. And I kind of thought, my God, am I in college again? This is so cool. These guys are still doing it.
3: I mean, they got more service time than I am old, uh, <laughs> which is pretty crazy. I mean, I grew up watching both of them pitch. And, um, you know, it's pretty cool. It's just cool how the game comes around and some guys get to stay in as long as they do. And, I mean, that's obviously a goal of mine to, you know, be in that category of guys that have played for. 10 plus years. Um, it's cool to see. And, you know, it's just, it's another pitcher out on the mound. Um, so it's how you got to think of it. You can't go, oh my God, is so young, blah, 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 blah. You just got to go up there and take care of bats no matter who it is.
1: When you think about having a career that's as as lengthy as Justin Verlander's or, or even Jose Abreu's to that point, you know, obviously it's going to be different for a pitcher and a hitter. What sorts of qualities stand out to you now that you've had a lot of time around big leaguers that make for players who stay in this game for a while?
3: Taking care of your body. biggest thing. Um, Got to be diligent about getting your work in and being smart and make sure you're in the weight room, getting your stuff done. And, you know, being proactive, it is your career, but you're also playing for a team and you have to be ready to go every single day for that team.
1: When you, when Andrew Vaughn sits down and, and needs to go take care of the body, like what sorts of things are you looking out for in your game that you want to make sure are on point? Like, have you learned, you know, a better routine this year than last or things that you need to keep uh, more sharp than others?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely routine. It's it's knowing how to warm up your body correctly and what to do in the weight room properly to keep you functioning for, you know, 180 days of baseball. Um, whether it's legs, upper body, stretching, mobility, you know, all sorts of things that just benefit you in the long run as a as a professional athlete.
1: What has the uh, what's the week been like for you guys in the clubhouse? Obviously, you run through Detroit like they they weren't even there. You get the off day, and then the Houston Astros do what the Houston Astros can do at, at points during their years. Uh, they put thirteen up the other night. I know you guys have been a clubhouse that bounces back no matter what. Is this just is this another one, uh, bounce back? Get them tomorrow.
3: Yeah, I mean you got to learn from it, flush it, and it's baseball. You get to play the next day. Um that's one of the greatest things about this game is you don't have to sit on it like football for seven days and some other sports a couple of days is baseball. We get to get out there next day, next morning, next afternoon, um, you know, strap it on and play your best game.
1: One of the things we've been doing, Andrew, with uh, with folks that come on White Sox Weekly, you know, guys like Gavin and Jake and, and guys who have not too recently been in the minors but have spent some time there and you with the, the AAA rehab, but actually, this will be great. I've been trying to figure out where guys stand on some of the potential rules changes for next year, things that could really shake up the game. So, Andrew, where are you at, you know, kind of philosophically with the idea that baseball may ban the shift next year? Um,
3: I mean, guess it doesn't really affect me too much as a right-handed hitter. You can't, I mean, lefties get affected the most. They can put a second baseman in right field basically. base. No, and, doubt. Uh, no doubt. You know, it's different. I mean, this game's always changing. It's always going to be changing. and um, I don't know. I'm, I, I kind of have mixed opinions on it, I guess.
1: Do you? Did you enjoy or, or do you have enough experience with a pitch clock um, like has been rumored to be in, inputted in the MLB at some point next year to have an opinion on what that does to the game?
3: Yeah, I got to see it for two games. I mean, it doesn't apply to guys that are rehabbing. but right, right. right. Um, I got to see a few times where pitchers um, got a ball called on them on them because I think the clock's like 14 seconds or something. Um, and it's extremely fast. Hitters can't really get in the box. You have to be looking at the pitcher at a certain time, and you know it kind of it makes the flow of the game go really fast. But sometimes it, it could mess up some things like some routines, some rhythms, and, and stuff like that. Do you think that's needed? Um, I don't know. I I just play the game. I don't I don't really worry about the outside stuff, trying to make games faster. I just worry about going up in taking my best A.B. and
1: trying to win games. Well, one of the things that, that Jake pointed out when we had him on, I think it was last week, week before, was that if that pitch clock is there and you're facing, I don't know, some reliever, some fire breather who's got, you know, 99, 98 or something like that, and he's got just 14 seconds to throw that next pitch to you, the likelihood that it's going to be also ninety nine, ninety eight is a little bit lower because he doesn't have the, you know, hour and a half to walk around by, behind the mound and, and figure things out again. Is that... Would that stand, you know, could, could we see that happen and then more offense go in that way with a pitch clock?
3: Ooh, I have no idea. I mean, I didn't get to see it enough, to be honest with you. But, I mean, like I said, this game's going to be changing and whatever they do, we just have to, you know, show up and play our best
1: games. Do you do you think at all about how, because that's that's very you, you know, having listened to to your you know your interviews a little bit, kind of like understanding your mindset some. You're ready for whatever, no matter what. There aren't a lot of players, I mean, truly, Andrew, there aren't a lot of guys that can just, you know, let it all roll off their back, go out there and hit. Why are you able to do that? Well, I mean, I
3: guess there's there's more to it than just that, but there's all the preparation that goes into it. But once you're out on the field, everything that you've done, it's just a building block and you still have to go out there and compete that's the biggest thing, just competing on the field, no matter who's pitching, who you're playing, and, you know, take your best shot, take your best shot, play nine hard innings, and when that day's over, you're on to the next one.
1: Who helped you learn or, or install that sense of confidence? When did that take take in?
3: No, I mean, it's, it's kind of culminated through my whole life. I mean, my dad, growing up, my mom, all their mindsets are pretty similar to that. I mean, it's just, it's how you got to live life. It's just day by day. Tomorrow's not given. Um, you just got to take full advantage
1: of it. Andrew, the outfield has been, you know, obviously your your kind of big challenge over the last two years. You've taken to it really well. Uh-huh. You've given this team so much of what they need, especially last year with all the injuries to the outfielders. What, what has changed about how you get after, uh, you know, the technical stuff of playing outfield from last year to this year? You know, last year was a, a crash course, and this year you knew – that you'd play outfield starting in 2022.
3: Yeah, you know, I mean, um, I was just built off last year doing as much as I can, as much work as I can, trying to improve every single day out there. Um, you know, it's not easy um, being a corner infield guy going out there. Yeah. Just knowing I got to go out there and do my best for that pitch on the mound that night and try to make as many plays as I can.
1: Do the games where you get to play first feel like coming home a little bit? Um, I mean, I guess so.
3: I mean, it's still... A little different. I haven't got to do it consistently a lot because, you know, we have um, a guy with the name of Jose Breyer that's pretty darn good over there. Yeah, he's all right. So, uh,
1: yeah, he's, he's decent. He's Yeah, he, everybody knows that. <laughs> but, when, uh, no, it's, it's whatever I can do on the field. When, when you guys sit down on the scouting report for Justin Verlander today, what are some of the things you'll look for? What is the mindset going up against a guy like Verlander, you know, with the kind of stuff he's going to offer today?
3: Yeah, just stay simple. Stay within yourself. And, you know, just have a good at bat. Um, make every single bat. It's like it's your last one. Um, just go down battle
1: Andrew, appreciate it, my friend. We'll talk again soon. Good luck this afternoon. All right. You have a good one. You got it. That's White Sox D.H. Andrew Vaughn. He's batting two for the White Sox today against Justin Verlander and the Astros. I'm Connor McKnight. This is White Sox Weekly. Uh, quick before we get to break. I, this just happened. We talked with Andrew. Full disclosure. We talked to Andrew about 40 minutes ago or so. Wanted to bring you the conversation. Thought it was a fun one. Uh, always good to hear from Andrew Vaughn, one of the most impactful players in the White Sox 2022 season. I saw on Twitter there's a little bit of news. It's, it's about a National League team but a long-time White Sox foe. And I think you can finally, uh, finally tip the cap to this man. Lorenzo Kane was designated for assignment by the Milwaukee Brewers just this afternoon. Uh, this is the same day he reached 10 years of MLB service time. So Kane and the club came to a decision. Uh, that's obviously that's that's the big number, 10 years of service time. That's pension. That's the whole thing. It gets you the lifetime pass, all that kind of stuff. That is a... That is a very cool thing to have been able to do. This is, this is a cool baseball story uh, for a couple of different reasons, one of which is that Lorenzo Kane, Low Kane, was a big-time player, obviously, for those Royals in the middle of the 2010s. He's a World Series winner, a Gold Glove winner. Saw this from Adam McCalvey, who is a Brewers beat writer at MLB.com. Lorenzo Kane showed up to his first baseball practice in the 10th grade, Wearing a collared shirt, jean shorts, and basketball shoes. And he played 10 years in the bigs, made two all-star games, won a gold glove and a World Series. He was DFA'd by the Brewers today. I, I remembered when Lorenzo Cain got called up by the Brewers in 2010 that he had been kind of an older prospect, a guy that had gotten to the game late. Um, not quite as I mean even later than Tim Anderson got to the you know we talk about guys who were you know doing other things in high school or or got into the the, the whole baseball racket a little bit later than others uh, even later than than Ta had 2010 he was 24 years old got traded to the Royals as part of the Zach Grenke deal and then just played an excellent center field, was one of the better players at that position for two, three, four years, Uh, a third-place MVP finish in 2015, a seventh-place MVP finish when he was back with the Brewers in 2018, spent his whole career with either Milwaukee or Kansas City. Lorenzo Cain designated for assignment. He hit 10-year service time. I don't know if he still wants to play. The numbers. The numbers would would maybe tell you that he's been struggling, uh, and that's for sure. At 36 years old, he's got an OPS of 465. Um, maybe he's been laid up. Maybe he wants another shot at another squad. Maybe it's just not working out with Milwaukee. But my goodness, what a career for Lorenzo Cain. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. When we get back, I'm going to hear from Lucas Giolito after last night's start. It was a rough one for Lucas, and it's been, um, you know, quite frankly, a rough month for Lucas Giolito. We'll dig into exactly what has been ailing him, and what kind of changes he's making to fix what has been uh, some subpar results. 312-332-3776. That's the number. It's White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. At DistinctiveGold.com. That's Distinctive Gold Jewelry, where Chicagoland buys their diamonds.
2: Chicago's home for sports. You've got us. ESPN 1000.
1: Join us at the ballpark on Thursday, June 23rd for Pride Night, presented by Vizzy. Celebrate with friends and the family as the White Sox take on the Orioles at 7:10 p.m. The first 10,000 fans will receive a free Southside Pride t-shirt designed by illustrator Katie Lukes. To purchase tickets. Visit whitesox.com slash summer series. I'm sure, I haven't seen it yet, I'm sure this year's Pride Night t-shirt is awesome. Last year's was one of my favorite Sox t-shirts. Uh, that's June 23rd at the ballpark against the Orioles 710 the first 10,000 get that pride night t-shirt 3123323776 that's the phone number got a question out to you here on White Sox Weekly today who's been your first 62 game mvp for the Sox we are through 62 with 100 to play the Sox are two games under and five back in the American League Central The Twins are on top, although they lost last night. We've got one vote in already. Well, technically speaking, we have a lot of votes in already. We ran it as the poll question last night because I was hoping uh, that we'd talk about it in a little bit of uh, today's show. And we have. Bill called earlier, said Jake Berger spent his first 62-game MVP. Thought that was a good one. Talked a lot about Jake. Uh, You got somebody else you want to offer as your MVP vote through the first 62? Let me know. 312-332-3776. I'll let you know who mine is uh, and what the Twitter poll result was last night, now that that thing has had 24 hours to marinate. Lucas Giolito was uh, beat up a little bit by the Astros last night. It's been a rough month for Lucas, and he talked about uh, the last four starts and last night's as well. Uh, So, in the post-game presser, which uh, some of you heard on the post-game show last night, but some of you uh, maybe went to bed or enjoyed a Friday night out, something like that. I get it. It's fine. You're back here with us now. uh, This is Here's Lucas Giolito. A little bit in the sixth inning?
4: Not really. I mean, I just fell. I walked the leadoff guy and it fell behind me. pretty much everything in my face. Did the next few pitches. Got burned. That's really it. What did you kind of find in
5: the, the middle innings there that was working for you? I mean, they got the early runs pretty um, quick on you and then you kind of settled
4: in. Worked on some mechanical adjustments uh, leading up to this that. I thought were pretty effective. Uh, I felt like my fastball was a lot better, but still not commanding the ball, um, losing my changeup, um, middle innings, generally working ahead, um, using my off-speed stuff, slider and changeup to be able to get back in the count and not be predictable. Um, Seve did a really good job uh, calling the game throughout the whole thing, but, you know, it's on me to execute. Um, did a lot better job in the middle innings. Uh, first couple innings, home runs, not good pitches, missed pitches. And then the uh, sixth inning, it's just a whole lot of bad execution. That's
1: White Sox starter Lucas Giolito. Uh, you know, he mentioned the bad execution. And, you know, it was interesting. In the first two innings, he gave up three earned runs, one on a two-run shot to Alex Bregman, uh, and one on a solo homer to Yuli Gurriel leading off the second. The, if memory serves, the homer, Alex Bregman, was a center-cut fastball, and the homer to Yuli Gurriel was a slider that rolled and had a lot of strike zone, and Gurriel just kind of hooked it. The Those two homers uh, were on... Obviously, the, the two worst pitches he made in the first four innings, or at least I, w- I would guess the first the, the worst two pitches he made, uh, you know, you never know exactly where you're aiming and stuff like that, or where Lucas would be aiming. In that fifth, or rather in that sixth inning, things just kind of unraveled, and there was a lot more center cut, You know, as he mentioned, a lot more um, uh, poorly executed pitches, and the Astros jumped all over it. That's what makes... This Astros team as dangerous as anybody else, and and what got them to the World Series last year, and if not for you know just an unbelievable run by the Braves, might have won that thing. They don't miss mistakes, you know whether that's Michael Brantley last night. Absolutely crushing baseballs, whether that's uh, Jose Altuve working at bats, whether it's Kyle Tucker. Kyle Tucker's a very, very good baseball player. Jordan Alvarez is making a claim to the best hitter in baseball title this year. He's, he's, he's out there for it. He's working at it. Aaron Judge might have something to say about it. But most well-rounded, it might be Jordan Alvarez at this point. We'll see. Anyway, the the Astros make it so impossible for you um, to miss in back-to-back at-bats because each next guy can hit and, at least, and, and hit for power uh, work at-bats as well. So that that makes things difficult. Over Lucas's last four starts, uh, going back to May 31st against the Toronto Blue Jays, it's a start against the Blue Jays, a start in Tampa against the Rays, start at home against Texas, and then last night's against the Houston Astros. Lucas has thrown 20 and two-thirds innings. He's given up 20 earned runs. 22 strikeouts and 10 walks, seven home runs in those four games, and an 8.71 ERA. Hitters against Lucas Giolito over these last four games have a 1090 OPS. That's better than Aaron Judge, the league leader in OPS in qualified hitters right now. It has been a rough go for him. And and I think you know what we've seen from last year to this year is, is a lot more sliders from Lucas, and I don't know th- that it's been the most effective pitch. We've seen fewer fastballs from him, change up his state at, at the same kind of relative usage for Lucas. Um, it may not have had the drop and snap, uh, the, or the fade, rather, that, that, that we've seen in the past. He certainly had great starts. I mean, buried in this four-game stretch is a six-inning, two-earned run game against the Rays, where he only struck out three and gave up two home runs, but managed all of that a lot of contact and eight hits scattered, that's at least keeping it off the barrel and something Lucas is is you know known to do. Up until these last four starts, up until I should say these last four starts, uh, Lucas in his first seven had thrown thirty-seven and two-thirds with a two-six-three ERA. He'd been absolutely stellar. For the White Sox, for the first seven starts through almost the first full month of May, this is a this is a struggle month for him. And the White Sox need him, uh, and really everybody, given that they're two games below 500 and five games back in the division, need everybody to snap back to career norms. Uh, we'll talk with James Fegan at two o'clock. He is a he knows what he's talking about when it comes to pitch design, pitch uh, pitch location, and all that kind of good advanced sabermetric and video kind of stuff, the, the how pitchers are going about getting guys out. We'll talk to James about what Lucas has been working through because James has had a lot of good conversations with Lucas over the last couple of years, um, and I would argue that uh, outside of, you know, guys actually in that team wearing pinstripe uniforms, James might know what he's trying to get done as, as good as anyone. 312-332-3776, that's the number. If you are looking for the perfect combination of luxury and flexibility, you should check out Sweet Flex Packs. With multiple packs to choose from, you can completely customize your whole season in a diamond suite. For more information, call or text 312-674-1000 or visit WhiteSox.com. Uh, we've got a little news on Yoan Moncada. Looks like, uh, well, we'll hear from Tony La Russa when we come back from a break. We'll do that for you. We'll get it right from uh, Tony. But it sounds like the tests for Yohan on his hamstring were earlier this afternoon, shortly this afternoon, uh, shortly ago this afternoon. So we don't have results on Moncada's availability or even a timetable for his return yet. Uh, As that gets posted by the Intrepids down in Houston, we will let you know. I'm Connor McKnight. White Sox Weekly with uh, another hour of fun to do. 2.30 pregame show, 3.10 first pitch for the White Sox and Astros. You'll hear from Tony LaRusso with the latest on Yohan Moncada. When we come back, it's the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network.
2: Recap the game Cap and Jay Hood Mornings on ESPN 1000
1: White Sox fans Get to the ballpark On Friday June 24th For Lollapalooza night It's DJ's favorite Lollapalooza night As the White Sox Take on the Orioles At 7.10pm One lucky row Will receive Lollapalooza tickets And don't forget to stay After the game For post-game fireworks show Presented by Lollapalooza Jake, Charlie Do me a favor Look up the Lollapalooza lineup. I haven't looked in a while. I, I want to know what's coming. Fun- Metallica's <laughs> coming, and her Sandman, the Mariana little Rivera little Doja song Doja Cat everything? too. How many? How many Doja? Doge- okay, so I got. I think I needed some. Uh, uh, Doja Cat does what now? She brought back the Mexican pizza for Taco Bell. That's all you oh, need to know. Oh, cool. Excellent. And the single, like, I know there's like two So there's two Doja Cat songs that are like out there everywhere always. What are the... Like Kiss Me More, I think. Yeah, yeah. okay. All right. Okay. Yeah, pure. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in on Doja Cat. I'm, I'm not Got fine. it. <laughs> it's not really my vibe, but I get it. Uh, anyway, so stay for the game. One lucky, one lucky row gets Lollapalooza tickets and... You get the post game fireworks afterward. All presented by Lollapalooza To purchase tickets to that game on June twenty fourth, visit WhiteSox.com slash promos. What who, Metallica and Doja Cat? Is that else? Who's else there? Give me the lineup. Jake and Charlie are our generation. What are, What are you guys? Gener, you're not. I not are you I don't Generation even, Z's. Gen Z. Are you Gen Z's? Oh man, they're Gen Z's. I'm a I'm a millennial. I'm the oldest... Here's the thing. You want to get on, in the. I, I I really like our White Sox weekly setups because I am the oldest of the millennial generation, right? Like I was taught the Dewey decimal system in library class in middle school. And if you know what any of those words mean, you're like with me, right? You grew up watching, um, you know, the the Fred McGriff play baseball, you know, you, you grew up watching Frank Thomas, you know, do his thing on the South side. You were that part. We have the next generation down guys like Jake and Charlie and Tyler who are, more of the, you know, you just didn't see Griffey play, but you know that Griffey was huge, but he was like an aging veteran out there. I mean, you saw Griffey throw a guy out at home plate for the White Sox, but you didn't see Griffey hit home runs for the Mariners or the Reds like I did when I was. And I like the, the, the stratification that we have in the baseball generation of the baseball fandom here.
5: I remember a lot, like, a lot of awesome Griffey on the Reds moves. Like, when he had, like, two really good summers. That was there. about
1: it. That was about yeah. it. Uh, it was, the, uh, it was the That's Charlie, by the way. He's one of our Gen Zers. Okay, well, who else is at Lollapalooza for, for White Sox fans to go see? what else it? we have? Yeah, we got Green Day. Uh, Green Day's great. Great, great millennial there. band. That was awesome. A lot Big of middle Sean. school for that. Big Sean. Better Get. than, than medium-sized Sean, I've always said. Uh, Denzel sure. Curry? Yeah, that's... Uh Dominic Fike, like Green Day's the other one okay. I mentioned. Nice. J. Cole. Awesome. Oh, J. Cole. I've got I've got some J. Cole on, nice. on a playlist. We've got I'm, Machine I'm Gun cool. Kelly. I'm cool. Da- you are you're officially cool. <laughs> I have heard I have heard of Machine Gun Kelly. That's that's fun, right? Megan Fox's is boyf- it. boyfriend or I guess married now? He I don't was know. In a, he was in Bird Box too, I think. Yeah. yeah of course. Yeah. Bird, Bird Box. That's that's a great band. <laughs>
5: It was Sandra a Bullock television movie. show, Netflix Ver-
1: movie, movie, right? Of course, it's a great movie. As what, what would it is. you be without us, Connor? I would be, I would be much, much older than I am right now. <laughs> I don't want to think about it. Uh, what did I promise people we were gonna? Oh yeah, that's right. Uh, we've got fresh Tony LaRusa tape, is what we've got. Yoan Moncada left last night's game with a hamstring injury, uh, and Tony also talked a bit about the lineup today. I've not heard this. You and me. Uh, and Charlie and Jake, we're all going to hear this at the same time. A little bit of news here on White Sox Weekly. Here's the skipper, Tony La Russa.
5: you on Moncada, hopefully just day-to-day. Not quite sure yet, but you've already got a short bench. I think the one thing fans need to know for days like this is
4: if there are spots where it looks like you might want to pinch hit, you've been limited a lot this year, right? That's, that's right. Even today, I, I doubt that Moncada couldn't do anything. He's getting an MRI right now, MRI. and at the same time, even Garcia felt a little tick in his side. So it could be there benches McGuire, and I I, I never uh, really think that it's an issue, because you go what you got, and we can also always use our DH, and use a, you know take the pitcher out of the game that way. So uh, we've got enough to win this game. AJ Pollock with a big home run. He's had a really nice road trip. I'm glad you brought him up because today he's hitting fifth, and uh, you know we're going to get Tim back Monday, but. He's done a real good job in that leadoff spell, but somebody's got to hit in the middle of the lineup, and he's had some success against Verlander, and Abreu has really done well against him, so he's our best guy to protect him.
1: So that's Tony Larusa, obviously, with Len Casper. You hear that entire interview on the pregame show coming up here in a little less than, well, I guess it'll be about an hour from now. That's when we'll hit the uh, Len Casper, Tony Larusa interview. So, Moncada still going for tests, or was going for tests just a little while ago. We're going to talk with James Feegan in about 20 minutes so if you want the latest on the White Sox, and I know you do, uh, James is down there in Houston. We're going to talk with him about what's been going on with this ball club, what happened last night, what happened in Detroit, and what's going on with Yohan Moncada. Also, uh, a little, fellas, we hadn't heard that little tweak for Larry Garcia as well. So that is um, a little bit of information from the skipper, Tony La Russa. Not great. It does sound like that lineup, you know, today's lineup, Mendick, Vaughn, Robert, Brayu Pollock, Berger, Harrison, Zavala, and Engel are the guys, with just Reese McGuire, uh, the backup catcher today, as the only bench depth, perhaps, for the White Sox against the Astros. That is a tough place to be in. This is also, uh, I mean, you heard Tony say, you got enough to win, and the way the White Sox have been swinging the bats lately, that is true. Uh, they need a good effort from Johnny Cueto. We'll talk about his season so far in a little bit today on the show before we're done. Um, but the LeUri Garcia injury... Or tweak that—that that is keeping him theoretically unavailable for today's game. You know, Tony's not going to tell you whether a guy's actually going to be able to. Play. If, he's, if he can't go, he's going to say he can't go. But yeah, maybe go, maybe not go. Later, he might be, might not be available for a pinch hit job today. This is, um, you know, teams on the teams, teams on the court, right? I mean, this is kind of the the Hoosiers thing. If you're out there, you're out there. We'll play with four if we have to. Three one two three three two three seven seven six. That's the phone number. Um, I wanted to I asked earlier in the show and we asked last night, actually, on the ESPN White Sox Twitter handle. If you're not following us at ESPN White Sox, you might want to all kinds of good content there Our Twitter poll question uh, chance for you to interact with Len Casper and Darren Jackson during our broadcast. That's all for you on the at ESPN White Sox Twitter handle. We tweet a lot of fun stuff, too, when we're out at the ballpark, pictures and and whatnot. Um, you can follow us there. You can follow me at C1McKnight if you're interested in that kind of thing, too. Anyway, the Twitter poll question last night was, through 62 games with 100 left, which White Sox player has been the MVP of the team so far? Bill called up earlier, offered Jake Berger. I think Jake was a guy who jump-started this, this offensive push that the White Sox have been on here the last two two and a half, three weeks, depending on when you want to call, you know, like your relative zero, the White Sox, you know, being, eh, and then kind of bouncing back to, oh, look, there's the White Sox again. And then this last week where it's like, yeah, look, they're hitting. They're doing what they thought they would. If you look at the the batting average in, on balls in play, month by month, that's the rate of baseballs that are falling for hits. For batting average this is not this is not count home runs because that is that is not a ball in play, right? But but the batting average on balls in play in the first month of the season, I'm doing this a little bit off memory, it was like two forty or, or two fifty. 45 for the White Sox in April. It clicked up a little bit to just under 300 in May. I think it was like 283, 289, something like that. And then here so far in June, obviously, with with a whole bunch of hits, the batting average on balls and plays is well over 330. So that's, you know, it's a good sign. It's exactly what you wanted to see from the White Sox, especially given the fact that they were hitting the ball as hard as they were, even throughout their offensive scuffles. That said, you know, all of that put together – Who's your MVP? You know, we had three hitters on this list on the Twitter poll question last night. And then we had to change things around because we thought, oh, let's make this a little bit different. So your four options last night on the Twitter poll were Dylan Cease, Tim Anderson, Michael Kopech, and Andrew Vaughn. And remember, we love Twitter. It's a lot of fun sometimes. But you can only offer four choices for your Twitter poll question. So we had some write-ins, and Bill called in with Jake Berger. But Tim Anderson won this vote going away 50%. And I guess when you've got numbers like Tim Anderson does so far this year, I mean, shoot, had he not gotten hurt, had he not had that groin strain making a a terrific play behind second base and recording the out, Tim Anderson's your starting shortstop in the American League. I mean, Tim Anderson's your starting shortstop in the American League for the All-Star game July 19th at Dodger Stadium. That said, he still could be. Sounds like T.A. is going to be back with the club on Monday against the Blue Jays. Charlotte is where he's playing at right now. He had a hit and a couple of ribs last night, maybe just one RBI last night for Charlotte. They lost to the Jumbo Shrimp. It's always a tough matchup when the Knights and Jumbo Shrimp hook up. Uh, but Tim's going to play two more minor league rehab games at the very least, Saturday and Sunday. And assuming all that goes well, uh, then Tony La Russa said Tim could be back with the White Sox as soon as Monday against the Blue Jays. The Charlotte Knights play this evening at 6 Central, so I think we'll have an update for you on an at-bat or two, perhaps, from Tim Anderson by the time the postgame show rolls around here later today. It's a 2.30, first, uh, 2.30 pregame show, 3.10 first pitch for the White Sox and Astros here on the network. James Feagan is our guest at 2 o'clock. we got a lot to do today. we got a, a massive anniversary in baseball today that we'll uh, we'll celebrate just a little bit before we're out of here. We'll go through a few more numbers. For some White Sox players, I wanted to dig in. You know hear Tony La Russa just a little while ago. Credit A.J. Pollock and the work that he's done. I want to show you some A.J. Pollock numbers and production when we come back here. It's White Sox Weekly on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Part fee. The Sanctuary Golf Course, one of Chicagoland's most beautiful courses, is just minutes from I-80 and 355. Check out GolfSanctuary.com for the best rates. Then book your tee time. GolfSanctuary.com You no longer need to find
0: your golf sanctuary.
2: Carm and the Good Kid, noon to two, weekdays on ESPN 1000. It's White Sox Weekly
1: here on the ESPN 1000, Hard Rock Casino, White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. Recapping some of the news we've gotten already this afternoon. James Fegan is going to join us coming up here in about 13 minutes. He covers the White Sox for the athletic and does a terrific job doing it. Rioan um, Moncada is still undergoing, uh, or rather did undergo some tests earlier today on that hamstring. Caused him to leave the game after two innings. Took it at bat, grounded out to shortstop, stayed in to play defense and then uh, just wasn't uh, wasn't mobile enough, wasn't feeling right, wasn't feeling good enough um, to continue playing in that game. So Josh Harrison came in instead. He got two hits. No word yet from anyone in Houston uh, uh, about what those tests resulted in for Yoan Moncada. But Tony La Russa told Len Casper just a little while ago that those tests were ongoing, and you know there's going to be a determination made. Yohan is not in the lineup for the White Sox today. Against the Houston Astros, mentioned two. You know the the all right-handed lineup for the White Sox against Justin Verlander. On the one hand, it is something of necessity for the White Sox with Yohan Moncada and Leori Garcia um, both apparently not feeling 100. Yoan obviously uh, a little bit worse off than Laury. Leori. Leori, Tony mentioned a little bit of a tweak in his side, so he's not in the starting lineup today. Moncada has the hamstring issue which keeping him out that leaves just Reese McGuire on the White Sox bench as your backup catcher obviously and you're going to deploy him very cautiously knowing that you need two catchers an injury would be devastating obviously in a particular game Um, but that's your your nine is out there all right-handed hitters against Justin Verlander who actually has been a little bit worse just slightly worse against right-handers in his career than against lefties although Justin Verlander is going to the Hall of Fame uh, like the moment he has sometimes I wonder, you know, I don't know how you feel about this, but I, I think with certain guys, there there should we should probably just waive the whole five-year waiting period to get into the Hall of Fame. I'm not saying everybody, and I'm not saying they even need to be first ballot guys. And, and sure, there's the whole retire and come back sort of thing, but Tony did that. You know, Tony LaRusso retired as a Hall of Famer, went retired, went into the Hall of Fame, waited his five years, then came back and is a Hall of Fame manager managing now. No one really cares. It's fine. He's in the Hall of Fame and he's managing. If Justin Verlander hung him up after this season, he goes into the Hall of Fame. He gets however many votes this cockamamie system allows him to get. However many of the writers want to hand him. He goes into the Hall. And if he wants to pitch another season, he wants to pitch another season at age 45 or whatever it is. That's fine by me. I don't really care. If you do, that's fine. Give us a call. 312-332-3776. But I, I just, like, it would be cool to have active Hall of Famers, that would be a cool thing. Mike Trout, for instance, what if he's – let's say you got a situation like Mike Trout where, you know, obviously injuries have been bad for him over the last couple of years. He's still a terrific baseball player. Maybe, maybe the best hitter who's ever lived. Maybe. Certainly making a run for it probably needs more years. Either way, let's say something horrible, and and here's hoping it doesn't. Let's say it's not Mike Trout. Let's let's say it's Trout Mike. Trout Mike has a leg injury. He can't play. Thinks he has to hang him up. Then a brand-new surgery comes along because technology does what it does and allows Trout Mike to reattach his leg to his body, and he can play baseball again. Let's say – let's make this even a little bit more real than the Trout Mike situation. Let's say you've got a guy like – a pitcher who suffers a Tommy John injury or some sort of devastating shoulder injury, and we're already seeing the kinds of advancements that are being made in the Tommy John procedure with with different kinds of ulnar collateral, ligament replacement, or bridging techniques that allow guys to get back faster. Let's say there's a different breakthrough in that kind of surgery, and a guy goes, I I want that surgery, and I want back in. Because 10 years from now, guys are being paid $45 million a year to hang out and play baseball. I, I would have no problem with that. That would be a very cool thing. That would be a great thing to have to adjust to in this sport. Speaking of, speaking of, uh, Rob Manfred, commissioner of Major League Baseball, um, had uh, a little bit of a press availability with reporters after their, uh, after league meetings, after owners meetings at the headquarters in Midtown. There's a couple of those that I want to walk through. Speaking of, you know, things that may be changing about this game coming up. Um, but, you know, I, I, we started this whole conversation. Not sure how we got to here. So this whole conversation talking um, like Tony La Russa did in his part of his snippet conversation with Len Casper, the full of, full conversation you'll hear in the pregame show coming up at two thirty. AJ Pollock has been exceptional for the White Sox over the last. I mean, you pick it. But over the last eight games, nine games, ten games, month of June, AJ Pollock has been that guy. He's been the guy the White Sox were desperately looking to fit into this lineup. Here's AJ's numbers since June 1st it's a 351 average, a 393 on base percentage, and slugging 526. We told you in the postgame show last night that his multi hit hit streak was snapped at seven. But in that seven game hit streak, in which A.J. had at least two hits in every one of those games, one shy of a franchise record. Magli Ordonez had eight career games, uh, and eight others have, too, in Fran- White Sox franchise history. But the last guy to do it was Mags in 2003. He had eight consecutive games with at least two hits. A.J. had seven running from June 9th to June 15th, a 429 average, a 474 on base, and slugging 514. He also, you know, that's kind of the one thing, Four home runs so far this year for Pollock, who, you know, I think looking back at things, I, I wonder if he, the White Sox, a combination of everybody, would have done something a little differently after he injured himself after those first two games in Detroit. It was a while before Pollock started feeling looking hitterish, dangerous at, at the plate. It was, you know, from April 22nd to May 17th, the OPS for A.J. Pollock was 438. It was a real struggle to get things cooking since, you know, in the, in the call it what, 25, 26 games since, the OPS is around 830. He's looked like, quite frankly, A.J. Pollock. I, I wonder if that's one of those situations, and it would be understandable given as many injuries as the White Sox, you know, had dealt with last year, all of the concern and, and uh, well-placed concern about A.J. Pollock, who has had to deal with a lot of injuries in his career, some of them really freak occurrences, like the slide into home plate when he was with the Diamondbacks a handful of years ago where the elbow just went. It was a a gruesome one. I don't like to think about it. Uh, But you got to be cautious with guys, and it's certainly early in the season, two games in, for goodness sakes. You put him on the injured list, and and yet as those struggles, you know, the White Sox for the White Sox offensively kind of mounted after those first two series against the Tigers and then the uh, Mariners, if memory serves, you're you're looking for more, so AJ comes back without a minor league rehab assignment. Scuffles a little bit, but you have to you, know, you have to kind of respect a guy if this is the case, a guy that came back because he saw a need with his ball club. He, you know, he, saw, he sees an opportunity to go provide and produce and, and be uh, the guy that, that that the White Sox are looking to have. Took a while to get there, but AJ Pollock is certainly doing that over the last well, over the month of June and over the last 25 games or so. Pollock has been uh, a lot. For the White Sox, so much so that you know, with uh, given these next two games, you know we don't know how these are going to go against the Astros. Here's hoping the White Sox offense looks just like it did against Detroit Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. But Pollock has been in the top spot for almost every game since Tim Anderson has been out. see Garcia got a lead off. Danny Mendick had a lead off. Uh, he'll have another one today. He's in the top spot for the White Sox against Justin Verlander and the Astros playing shortstop. Danny Mendick's been very good. We'll talk about him with James Fegan in a little bit. Pollock's batting five by Jose Abreu today. And the, the Homer last night, that three run shot, the 10 run inning, notwithstanding in that six, the Astros being the Astros, notwithstanding, saying that's the three run shot. You needed. It's a shame, you know, that the White Sox weren't able to make that a bit of a closer game because here you are after the off day, looking around for okay. Here we go, guys. This is we had those three games against Detroit. Things are looking good. You put the ball in play a couple of times against Framar Valdez. Um, he was very good, throwing a curveball that was quite nasty. And all of a sudden, in the third, you get eight and nine. Sebi and Mendick on base with a double and a single, respectively. And Pollock just drills a ball to right center field. Bam! You've got it tied at three. And then that one kind of goes away. That's that's a good first half of a game against the Astros but the White Sox were the first to tell you last night we played Lucas Giolito's comments after last night's game uh it it was not a good one you know it was was absolutely not enough Uh, and you got to play a full nine innings especially against the Astros in this league otherwise you're you're liable to give it away late and the White Sox did last night 10 runs in that sixth inning against the Astros when we come back, a uh, break coming up here in just a moment, but James Feegan of The Athletic is going to join us. It'll be our first time getting a chance to talk with James here on White Sox Weekly. He covers the Sox for The Athletic and does one heck of a job doing it. We'll, uh, we'll tell you what else is coming up on the show. I'm going to pause it here real quick, 10 seconds for Station I.D.
2: From the First Midwest Bank, a division of Old National Bank, State Street Studio.
0: This is WMVP, WSHE HD2, Chicago.
2: A good karma brands radio station.
1: This is White Sox Weekly. I'm Connor McKnight, 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. You want to tell me who your White Sox MVP through 32 games, or through, rather through 62 games has been, give us a ring and we'll talk about it. We'll ask that question of James Feegan when we come back. He'll be our guest. And we got a couple other things to do before we get out of here. You know, the pregame show's coming up at 2.30, uh, but that's plenty of time to tell you about a big anniversary in Major League Baseball, something that completely, completely reshaped the game. Uh, and we'll cover a few things that the commissioner, Rob Manfred, told to reporters just yesterday as well. I'm Connor McKnight. It's the Hard Rock Casino, White Sox Network.
2: Tell your smart speaker, play ESPN 1000.
1: Join us for Family Sundays Guaranteed Rate Field with tickets starting at 10 bucks and parking for only 15 Bring your family out to the ballpark for a day full of fun. Family Sundays are proudly presented by Coca-Cola. Visit WhiteSox.com slash Sundays to purchase your tickets today. I'm Connor McKnight. This is White Sox Weekly. Pre-game show's coming up in a little less than half an hour. White Sox and Astros have Johnny Cueto and Justin Verlander on the bump. It feels like I'm in college again, sort of. James Feegan is our guest here on the show. He covers the White Sox for The Athletic. He is one hell of a baseball read. You should read his stuff. You can follow him on Twitter. He is at James Feegan At J. Feegan is what it is. J.R. is what it is. Boy, it's like the editor should have called me first. Hi, James. How are you, man?
5: I my middle name is Raritan, so that's the explanation for that, it. That's, that explains sorry it. Sorry for con- confusing you, scrambling your brains. More it, or less ruin your afternoon.
1: It just takes so little to ruin my brain and confuse my afternoon. James, uh, Lucas Giolito has been going through something over the last four starts. The ERA is at eight seven one. You've talked to Lucas a lot about what he's trying to get done out there, how he needs to make his changes and adjustments. Uh, what's the next step for Lucas? What is he looking to fix first?
5: It's hard to say. Uh, Yesterday, you know, his mechanics were kind of different. Uh, He had mentioned making some adjustments, and I think you saw some of, like, the – some elements of that in the sense that yesterday was probably one of his better velocity days of the season. You know, he touched 96, he was 94 all night. Um, That was kind of what his expectation was. Three season was the whole um, transformation physically and kind of bulking up that he was kind of going for, but it wasn't lined up with anything uh, resembling his best location – and something he's been particularly kind of irritated about um, since coming back is that this is a guy who usually first to second innings is the roughest for him. He's a big body. He kind of gets in sync kind of slowly over the course of the game. And then sixth or seventh inning, he's always been a guy who's kind of able to be sharper over the course of the night and kind of really empty a tank in his final inning and finish strong. And suddenly, seen him kind of wavering and losing feel down the stretch, which I think is – you know, troubling him more than anything, particularly mechanically or anything like that. I think you got to kind of look at the fact that he's coming off a bout of COVID that was, you know, what he said was rougher than the first time he experienced it at the end of uh, October last year. He's been pretty dismissive of that. He, he thinks that, you know, that's no excuse. And, you know, he just has to be better and has to execute. But as far as him just kind of not behaving or not having the, the trend that he's had his whole career, I... I and not being in sync. It seems like that sort of disruption is what I would look toward, but it just hasn't been maybe another week to maybe more starts You know, as he gets removed from those kind of mechanical adjustments he made is going to bring some consistency because this is not like the, the guy we've seen the last couple of years uh, just in terms of the way the things have lined up, even more so than the results.
1: When you've talked to guys, talking with James Feagan at The Athletic, when you've talked to guys, whether that's Lucas or Ethan Katz or, or anybody else in the decision-making chain, is, is this a situation where you might see Lucas get an extra day or get him back out there and let him work to fix this quickly you know given Lucas's importance to the rotation and to the innings that the white sox need very much
5: of uh, the more he's in his routine the more things are going to go back to normal yeah. it just seems to be their approach you know he's he's scheduled already to go five days after uh, you know yesterday uh, everything is geared towards. The more normalcy he has, the more he gets back to what he has been doing the last three years. That's what's going to get him back more than there's some specific physical issue going on that he needs to rest.
1: Speaking of physical issues, Yoan Moncada has battled a couple so far this season already. Uh, this team is is better when Yoan Moncada is healthy and playing baseball. I think. Um, what what is the latest, as you understand it, on Moncada's hamstring? And you know, I, I guess I'll ask the million dollar question that everybody asks me injuries for the White Sox have been huge. Why are there so many?
5: I don't know. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's getting an MRI today on his hamstring. You know, something that Yuan said post-2019 was that you know basically he felt like he was straining his hamstring too much. You know, he had, had some sort of hamstring issue every year since coming over to the White Sox at that point, and he was going to change the routine to avoid it. And 2020, he got COVID, and 2021, he had all sorts of other kind of aches and pains to kind of play through it, but he hadn't had a hamstring strain uh, since 2019, and now it's kind of popping up again. So, I, like, they obviously felt like they had dealt with way too many injuries last season. Uh, they have been trying to update uh, their their training regimen and everything like that. You know, we've got, you know, the first year with, with Goldie Simmons as their new trainer, someone who was very highly lauded for his work in the minor league system. You know, this is, I think, the second official year of their new training staff. They've been trying to update their training staff uh, progressively and trying to update the times over the last couple of seasons. It's just the results are not there. Um, I, I don't know if it's, I don't know why it's happening. Uh, clearly, they don't know exactly why it's happening. Otherwise, they'd be able to stop it. Um, I, I think you're going to hear a lot. And I think the general organizational mindset is that there's a limit to how much they want to apply the results of such an unusual year without the spring training they wanted, without, you know, the type of monitoring of guys off season that they wanted. You know, normally train staff has been communication with guys throughout the off season when they weren't for the entire kind of blackout period. Uh I, I don't think they're gonna reach the broad conclusions and say like what we're doing is broken based off of season that was so weird. But it's obviously very frustrating. It's obviously just as much of a hindrance, if not more so, than it was the last season, which they said was unacceptable. So it's, it's absolutely very frustrating. It's absolutely kind of bedeviling the, the franchise right
1: now. James, uh, in the month of June, Luis Robert has mostly been in the three spot for Tony La Russa. He has he's done better than tread water, but he's not exactly taken back off uh, to the levels at which he was performing before uh, his bout with COVID. What's next for Luis Robert? Uh, what are pitchers doing to him? to keep him somewhat off balance does he still have that player in him that we saw earlier this year
5: he's got to swing at better pitches i think uh you know i'd be one thing if he's barreling balls all the time and they're dying at the track and be like oh what's gone? what's happened to his power but i think pitches are just throwing him tons of sliders out of his zone, and he's kind of you know going for it a lot right now uh he's working himself into a lot if nothing else a lot of two-strike counts where he has to kind of pare down his approach and try to fight and keep himself alive and that's where you see him treading water and maybe fighting off two-strike singles a lot but not being the guy who you know his who would most teams would love to have their number three hitter in terms of his power potential and what he was doing before he went back on the, the COVID list uh, a couple of weeks back uh, I, I think for him you know I've been asked the question a lot recently about why is he a singles hitter now and I think it's it's his approach and raining it back in. He he can't be swinging. He's getting over 30% sliders. I think the last time I looked it up, probably uh, top. The only person who was getting more was Eloy Menes right before he went down. And you know that's, it's just way too much aggression on those uh, early count breaking balls right now. Uh, he's kind of got to rate that in and wait his pitch and get the more favorable counts where he can be sitting and loaded for a fastball to hammer because you know that's where his power is going to come from.
1: Jose Abreu's season has uh, finally turned into a Jose Abreu season over the last couple of weeks. We saw what he did in Detroit, just absolutely pummeling the baseball. The walk rate is fascinating to me, though, because the guy has never posted a walk rate higher than 9.3%. That's his career high. It was last season. He is at 12.5. That is an enormous jump. What is the deal?
5: You know, I think he realized that he was going to get – Tested and continue to try to expand his zone in terms of busting him inside uh, and knowing that he was kind of vulnerable there and going to work to protect it. And he's, he's found something over the last, you know, it's been really a multi-year process of pitches doing that to him and him trying to, to find a balance. But i I say in the last eight weeks, he's really uh, found some comfort in taking those pitches and spitting on those pitches that are on his hands, not feeling like he has to speed up and, and, and gear up to, to fight those off, but really kind of, Trusting and letting those pass. I, I'm sure it's still not his favorite thing to do. He wants to be the guy who's the run producer. He wants to be the guy putting the ball in play and, and putting runs in. And I, I think maybe in those situations, if there's more guys getting on base in front of him, maybe when Tim Anderson comes back, he might see him press the issue a little bit more. I don't. I don't think he loves drawing walks 12 percent of the time simply because he'd rather be hitting. But I think right now he he's at least seeing that this is. This is the better alternative, and making the best out of it.
1: What is the, as you understand it, uh, what is the timeline and the next check-in uh, for for us on on Liam Hendricks and his uh, his forearm situation? Um,
5: I know the general idea is that maybe three weeks is is the goal. Um, I think Liam uh, told reporters he was, he was open for July first. I think maybe halfway into that is when you start saying, can he throw? Can he play catch? Can he kinda of start building himself up to where when that comes back and when we hit that date that he's ready to go, but I I haven't seen him throwing as of yet. I think he's right now still in the the, the rest is and let let the inflammation and the soreness calm down situation.
1: How how scary is this, you know, for White Sox fans? How what, what should the level of alarm be?
5: I mean, I don't think I can ever in good conscience tell White Sox fans like, hey, no big deal. (laughs) Uh, I think the last time I did that, it was when John Moncada got scratched for the last spin training game. And, you know, Tony said he could have played if he wanted to. But, yeah, Yeah. it's better to to push it. And then we saw him again in May. So, with that um, preface, this is, from what I've heard, something that he wanted to pitch through and that he thought he could. And, you know, I, I think he... Further spooked everybody by mentioning the whole, uh, oh, I've had a partial torn in USCL for 15 years part. But that kind of uh, that speaks to how he thinks about it. Like, I've incurred some damage, but I pitched through it. You know, I think Liam told us earlier in the season, you know, he was having a conversation with Craig Kimball where they were trying to think about the last time they pitched and didn't feel any pain, and that it had been years, several years for both of them. So, I don't think he views this as a something he can't operate and operate at a high level at. It's just that if it's at this stage, if he was feeling it to this level, at this point of the season, he would rather rest it in June than have it be really kind of biting and nagging at him in September or October. So obviously, the the White Sox seem like they need everything they can get right now. Um, this right, this stretch feels as urgent as anything coming up. But it's been consistent with them all year of like them saying, "Let's not push something." That we're wearing down at the end of the season, like we did
1: last year. Talked with Andrew Vaughn earlier on the show, James. Uh, Andrew's got a 142 OPS plus. He's maybe been the most consistent bat in the White Sox lineup outside Tim Anderson, who's currently, as as you know, on the injured list. I tried to wrench out of Andrew what part of his offensive skill set feels best right now? What's working most? How that go? Yeah, well, you know, it was um, it, it was I uh, used a big wrench, is what. I said. Took a big. He said his calm. You know, he said his his level of uh, of of calm and just kind of taking it easy up there was was something that that was working best for him. When you look at the skill set for Vaughn, what strikes you most? What is the most impressive thing that he's been doing this year?
5: Um, balance. Uh, you know, he's got that big working leg kick. He rings so much power out of a. You know, not. You know, he he could take any one of us, but not the biggest major league body that you've ever seen. And it's all about how he's able to really load his back leg and really kind of have his full body into his swing. And he's able to do that with a kind of bigger motion that doesn't throw himself off, doesn't move his head too much so he can't judge pitches, doesn't, is able to stop it when he recognizes breaking balls. Uh, It's the level of kind of, you know, flat out athleticism that he has to, you know, load himself for power while also being in control the whole time and able to kind of change his body manipulate his body to respond to what his eyes are seeing. Uh, I think it's that's kind of the big athletic skill of a hitter that you know people don't may, maybe realize and think it's all just about swinging at the right pitch or swinging at the wrong pitch but there's so much physicality that goes into being able to stop yourself and control yourself and also let it rip and, and have your best face swing when you do recognize something good. That, that's what I think I try to see when I'm watching Andrew, um, but that's a lot more words than he would ever say to it. He just, he he has to keep it simple.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, he does. Uh, And he's successful in, in doing that. James Feagan of the athletic uh, for another minute here. I I wanted to wrap this James by, you know, kind of looking forward into the future. I I read through your piece uh, about five white Sox prospect hitters who are on the upswing this summer. That's the headline. It's, it's well-written. Lenin Sosa is highlighted in this Uh, Brian Ramos is highlighted in this. uh, Oscar Colas and Yolbert Sanchez. Two of those guys, Sanchez and Sosa, were mentioned by Rick Hahn in his press conference a couple of weeks ago. Where I'm going with this is what is the future of second base for the White Sox when Tim Anderson returns to play shortstop? You figure that's Danny Mendick. Is it a mix of guys? Are there some of the prospects that you mentioned in your piece on the athletic maybe coming into the mix for the Sox?
5: I think most immediately it's Danny Mendick. Uh, you know, even with the potential of a Yohan Mankata-Ielson kind of looming over us, I think what we're seeing tonight where uh, Jake Berger, who's obviously hit his way into the lineup, even with some defensive struggles at third, probably sees more of those opportunities at third than I think they're going to clear a 40-man spot and call those guys up right away. Um, it seems like they think both those guys are going to be Rule Five eligible uh, this December, so there's an incentive kind of built in for the Sox to see what they have in them right. before the end of the summer is out. It just doesn't seem like that's immediately what's going to happen. And you know, the fact that they're holding off on this roster move for for Yon, you know, one of it's that uh, you still get an MRI and there's a little bit of hope that maybe he can avoid you know a, a multi-week shutdown. But uh, I, I think they're just kind of holding off until Tim comes back uh, on Monday rather than you know, let's bring up the older Sanchez right now to, you know, pipe into a role that we don't really know what we're going to do with him. Sure. So I, I think at some point this summer, it's going to be there. Maybe even next month, we're talking about this a lot more determination. I certainly think they want to see what Lennon can do at AAA. Uh But I, I, I think it's still weeks and months off. And I think Danny Medic has played himself into a way uh, that he should get some opportunity. And, you know, I know it's not going to be a popular line, but Josh Harrison's been a bit better the last couple of weeks. I I think he's going to continue to get you know some opportunities that got to get himself back to his career norms uh, from Tony who, who definitely is very respectful and uh, reverent of veterans who have put together long careers and hoping to him back to their what they've done their whole their whole life
1: listen you're not wrong about Josh Harrison James I mean you know that over the month of June the guy's been hitting 360 with a 370 on base percentage so it's there for you. Appreciate you as always. Uh, just stay, find some way to stay cool in Houston. It's like a gajillion degrees down there. So it's
5: cold uh, inside. The air conditioning's up. Yeah.
1: Well, that's that's the weird thing about the South. It's a billion outside, and then anywhere you go inside in the air conditioning, they don't just pump it down to 72. It's like 55 for some reason. I don't get it.
5: I didn't bring my sweater because it felt goofy to bring a sweater when you're sweating buckets while walking a mile from your hotel, and now, now I feel... Now I'm chilly. It? You know, I think everyone should focus on how sad and chilly I am
1: out here. When you, uh, I'm sure we will. I'll, I'll scroll through my White Sox weekly reads and find out when the next White Sox sweatshirt giveaway is, but I don't think it's until September, my man. Thanks so much. Appreciate you. All right. Thanks for having me. James Feegan of The Athletic, one of our favorites here on the show. And uh, there are giveaways. The the Pride Night T-shirt is coming up in just a little bit. That's uh, That's soon. That's June 23rd. You want to make sure you're out there. For some really cool swag, the first 10,000 fans get a free Southside Pride t-shirt designed by illustrator Katie Lukes. we got more to do on White Sox Weekly. Not much more. we got to pack a bunch in to our final segment. The pregame show is coming at you at 2.30. Big thanks to James Feegan for joining the show today. I'm Connor McKnight. It's the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network.
2: Black and Abdallah weeknights at 6 on ESPN 1000.
1: Welcome back to White Sox Weekly. We're closing it up here. Pre-game show starts in less than 10 minutes. You can join us at Guaranteed Rate Field on Saturday, June 25th. The White Sox take on the Baltimore Orioles at 110. The first 20,000 fans will receive an Aloy Jimenez and Luis Robert bobblehead presented by NBC Sports Chicago. You know the one. It's the one where Robert's taking away a pop fly from Aloy and Aloy's just kind of sitting there. It's a really great bobblehead. For tickets, visit whitesox.com slash promos. This is the 50th anniversary. Today is the 50th anniversary of Kurt Flood winning his Supreme Court case. 1972, Flood was the first player to challenge in court the reserve clause that essentially bound players to teams for perpetuity and really invented free agency in Major League Baseball. It was a huge change to the game, obviously, and a big one for players. The What's really cool about this, and I, I didn't realize this until this morning when I was kind of looking around, I actually... In College, I wrote my senior thesis on Kurt Flood's Supreme Court case, so I, I, I know it fairly well and, and the history that it was to baseball and the way we cover baseball, too. That's really kind of what the writing was about. I'm not going to bore you with that though. On today at uh, seven o'clock local time on the History Channel, they're, houring, uh, they're airing rather a two-part, two-hour documentary uh, called After Jackie. It, it, it um, details impact made by other black players after Jackie Robinson in Major League Baseball. It focuses on Bob Gibson, Bill White, and Kurt Flood, and that show airs today, tonight, rather, on the History Channel. Thought you might be interested in it. I'm certainly going to you know tape it and not actually tape it we already talked about how a millennial nobody tapes it anymore i will record it in some sort of digital manner and watch it at my convenience like the rest of america uh but it looks really cool and i i I can't wait to watch it i don't know if i'm going to get a chance to watch it tonight but i'm really looking forward to watching it again it's the 50th anniversary of kurt flood uh winning a supreme court case against the reserve clause and major league baseball changed the game for sure also of note um, in the pregame show, we'll hear from Tony Larusa about what's going on with Yoan Moncada and Leori Garcia, the injuries to both of those. Still, the White Sox look like they will have at least one roster move coming on Monday and potentially more. The hope is that Tim Anderson will return to the lineup for the White Sox on Monday. That's going to be their prerogative. What won't be is having to go from 14 pitchers to 13 pitchers. The memo was released and chronicled by Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic just a couple of days ago. Remember, we were at a 14-pitcher limit all through the start of the season, the shortened spring training and COVID concerns and all that kind of stuff. They are like, okay, don't worry about it. We'll go to 14 pitchers. It's going to be 13 come Monday, which is a totally underrated Jimmy Buffett song, but also something that's going to happen in Major League Baseball. You'll have to – everyone's going to have to drop a pitcher if you're at 14 – and get back to 13 pitchers. So that is coming for the White Sox and anyone else who is there at 14 pitchers on their roster. One other quick thing that I wanted to get to real quickly. Uh, Last night, the White Sox were on the Apple TV broadcast, and Rob Manfred talked to reporters uh, after the owners' meetings in New York. The commissioner – this is a write-up in the New York Post. I wanted to talk about it real quickly here because – all of your White Sox baseball is right here on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network, and we are immensely proud of that. Uh, Rob Manfred, though, did talk about a lot of fans who are looking to watch baseball and don't have a chance to do that because of blackout restrictions. I hope very much uh, that they are going to, the baseball is going to get themselves into a spot where more of us baseball fans get to watch and listen to the game anywhere we want to do that. And I thought his comments uh, about fans looking to do exactly that and realizing that uh, or recognizing rather that that's something that may indeed be changing coming up here in a little bit is a very good thing it should excite a lot of baseball fans we'll talk more about the west of what manfred said in next week's white sox weekly because we got to get up out of here the pregame show is coming up at 2 30 it's a johnny cueto justin verlander matchup big thank you to andrew vaughn for joining the show Big thanks to James Fegan as well. Big ups to Jake Cantu and Charlie Bevins. Pre-game show's next on ESPN 1000.